Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here with another quick reminder to subscribe to the Press Gallery if you would be so kind. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you happen to podcast, you can probably find us. And if you can't, shoot me a line. You can email me egraney at postmedia.com or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I'm your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, January 11, 2019, and this is the Locking Horns Over Big Corn Country edition. Thank you. Yes, that's the headline that my dear colleague Claire Clancy. I love that headline so much. And they stole it away from her. They did. Thieves. And I stand by puns and headlines. (laughs) So with me today, Claire Clancy, she of Punny Punny Headlines. Thank you. Yes, I'm here. (laughs) My legislative reporting colleague. (laughs) Elise Stolte, our city columnist. How are you, mate? Hi. Good. Good. I'm glad you're good. Great. (laughs) I thought of something to say and then it left me, so I'm just going to move on to Keith Ryan. Good morning. (laughs) Oh, it's been a week, hasn't it? It's always a week in Alberta politics. Yeah, we never get a break. So much happens all the time. Maybe this summer. Maybe count on getting a break by summer. Summer, yeah. yeah. You mm. just jinxed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we are, of course, as you might have been able to tell from the title of this podcast, we're going to be talking about Bighorn Country and the absolute kerfuffle that that has become. It's been every day this week. There's been something about that freaking thing. Um, we're also going to talk about the curious case of the missing photo radar report. And we're going to talk about a death in the legislature and also a new life. Oh, cryptic. I'm sure that you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) And if you don't, you'll find out soon. (laughs) Any minute now. Give it about 20 minutes and you'll find out exactly what we're talking about. Let's start off with Big Horn Country. Oh, what a time. So I ended up writing, I wrote a bit of a, I guess, a rundown on what had happened here. But Clancy, you waded into this on Monday, I think, right? Yeah. So So run us through what happened here. I guess to start, let's talk about what the Bighorn proposal is. So in November, November, the province announced that they were going to um, ask for public feedback on a proposal that basically creates a new wildland provincial park uh, and three new provincial parks, a public land use zone. And what it amounts to is basically new campsites um, and kind of some changes within the land that's between between Jasper and Banff National Parks. Um, This public feedback issue now has really just taken off. So they were having public consultations. To they were having get some feedback right. Stuff. They were having public consultations, and on Saturday, Shannon Phillips announced that she was going to cancel four public consultation meetings that were scheduled in Edmonton, Red Deer, Sundry, and Drayton Valley. And it was because uh, she said that there were security concerns, and she had consulted with the RCMP about those concerns. Mm-hmm. Cue the outrage. <laughs> so that's the beginning of what happened. <laughs> so then on Sunday, when all this stuff happened with, with Shannon Phillips, um, Jason Nixon, who's the Rocky Sundry Mountain House, Rocky Mountain House Sundry, look, he's the MLA for the area and it's got like <laughs> 5 million names in it. Jason Nixon with the UCP, he weighed into this and said, what? Outrageous. You can't cancel public consultations. This whole idea that there have been threats or security issues is absolute nonsense and you're smearing our whole community by saying that there have been security threats. Um, I know of absolutely no such thing and that's that's bollocks. You need to have these consultations. And then it escalated. Keith, 
Yeah, it sure did. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just jump on in. So people started looking into, you know, what the, uh, including us, we started looking into whether this was a justified decision on Shannon Phillips' part to cancel these sessions. Were these threats real? Was the RCMP really concerned? And as we dug into it a little further, we found maybe that this was, um, well, certainly in the UCP's view of things, this was certainly not warranted. Uh, Claire and I did add, actually manage to take a look at some of the the instance that the government uh, has uh, has listed uh, that they relied on to to make this decision. It shows some uh, some verbal intimidation, some verbal harassment that staff suffered at some of the previous sessions. To Someone me, was didn't... pushed or something. Like that. I yeah. think, and I think at the time on Sunday when Shannon Phillips talked to Post Media, she talked about uh, security concerns raised by business owners. That's right. And Keith and I managed to take a look at um, just one email that we saw was sent to the province from a concerned business owner in Nordag, um, and then on top of that was the list of. Um, staff complaints uh, from government right. staff at meetings. And it was eight complaints. One of those was from a venue, but the rest were from uh, government staff. And that's what informed that initial decision. That's right. And the vast majority of it is is verbal harassment that staff had suffered. It's people so, being dicks. People so kind, what we can people take away from this, which right. happens at public yeah. consultation yeah. meetings. Yeah, well, yeah. We don't be a dick and we'd all be yeah. better off. That's my yeah, take. That's yeah. a big one. <laughs> a but also, I, like, I have empathy for people who are feeling this and getting these threats because you want, we like, we're so exposed to what's going on in the States. And there we've seen threats escalate. And so if people are really afraid, it's hard. It's a hard issue. It is. And what Shannon Phillips and what the government has said is that they took all this information, uh, the the concerns from the business owner, any, any resident complaints and the staff complaints, sort of put it together. And a security team or a security officials with the province made a recommendation to Shannon Phillips that they should not proceed with the, the consultation sessions, that they couldn't guarantee public safety. Shannon Phillips agreed and the sessions are shut down. The other problem with this, though, is that she hasn't been entirely consistent or accurate with the uh, with her comments about the level of RCMP concern, and I think this is where the UCP has yeah, gotten particularly upset. Yeah. Right. So Shannon Phillips did tell our colleague Janet French, for example, that the decision was made after her officials talked with the RCMP on the weekend. She also did say that there were a couple of open files that the RCMP still had. When we checked into it, in fact, the RCMP does not have any open investigations related to threats or intimidation, and they have made no advice. They gave no advice to the province to shut down the uh, the proceedings. So this has the UCP calling Shannon Phillips a liar. They say that Shannon Phillips should resign. The Alberta party sort of jumped on that bandwagon as well on uh, on Thursday, calling for Shannon Phillips to resign. So there's certainly been a lot of pressure there. Rachel Notley, of course, um, as you might expect, going, nah, not going to do that. Um, pretty pretty still confident in my minister. But that's where we're at is, um, is a pretty tense situation. I think we should all just give ourselves a pat on the back for going through that logically and getting through it, because yeah. that was amazing. Well, Thank you, Keith, really for convoluted. finishing that. Yeah, yeah. It, is, it is really convoluted. I, I mean, trying to make sense of this is difficult. And this was my column on Thursday uh, that uh, there clearly are a small number of Albertans who are being really awful, uh, intimidating staff or, or, or verbally harassing them. I think there has been some misinformation spread by the UCP and, and others in the area that has contributed to this. 
But I also looking at, at all the evidence, I, I do think the government overreacted. I do think that the consultation should have gone on. I don't think there's anything particularly out of the ordinary going on here when you do have controversial proposals. And Elise has seen this at City Hall at times. There are angry people who say things they shouldn't and scream and yell. Uh, and that's why you have security. And uh, I, to me, I, I just did not see a real justification there to shut down the sessions, which is plays right into the UCP's hands, right? The UCP has been alleging all along that there is improper consultation, that there is a hidden government agenda here that people are not being listened to. And so if you go ahead and shut down the sessions, it feeds right into that. Which That's is ironic, given that Jason Kenney doesn't really want to consult on anything if he does come into power and is already <laughs> writing, writing up laws to Indeed. execute on the first days of government. Elise. I think the other part of this, though, is how this whole thing has been rolled out from the beginning. Because it has been very difficult to understand exactly what land we're talking about, exactly how large of a land, piece of land we're talking about, and what existing protection there is. Mm. Because I haven't heard any mention before I had a long in-depth conversation with the, the actual bureaucrats about the Eastern Slopes policy. This land, if to hear some people talk, it sounds like there's a free-for-all in this land now, mm. and they're going to create a park to Drayton Valley. And that's totally inaccurate, right? But it's really hard to understand just from the presentations what the actual change is. Because a lot of this land is already protected, mm. albeit through a policy, and this turns it to legislation. But the other thing is most of the proposal here is not for a park. It's for a public land use zone, which eventually will have restrictions on recreation, but that doesn't carry restrictions on industry. And if that could be a little bit clearer, I think that would help a lot of this conversation move forward. You wrote a great column on this earlier in the week. Wednesday. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I did write a column on that. It was good. I liked it. it. I mean, what I took away from it was basically like there's so much wrong information floating around out there that it's, as you just said, what the hell's going on here? Exactly. That I'm basic understanding. You that. <laughs> yeah, that's that basic understanding of like, okay, well, and who is creating the rules for this park, right, for this area right now? Well, it's the stakeholders themselves. There's some really great stakeholder bodies that have been creating rules and enforcing rules as volunteers in this area for, I don't know how long, but it definitely predates this government. So where are they and why are we not understanding their perspective on it better? Why has the government not sung their praises a lot more about the work that's already been done? It feels almost like they wanted to make a big statement and show how how green and environmental they were without recognizing all the history here of who's contributed in the past to protecting this area. You're right, because when they made that first announcement that they were doing this Bighorn uh, Country proposal, um, I mean, it was an announcement with Rachel Notley at the University of It was of at Alberta, the climbing right? wall, yeah. Yeah, you know, the climbing wall. Yeah, they yes, had it I went a rock to climbing it. wall. It was weird. Yeah, and I think that that is, I think that's a really good point that Elise brought up is that it's, you're right, like there is so much history with this. Communities have been talking about this policy for um, for decades now. And not yeah. just the policy, but actually protecting the land right. for decades. Yeah. Right, and I think that's what, I think really, that's what's been so interesting for us in this week, and both of you talked about this in your, in your columns, but it's like, this has just... Just in terms of the consultation around this, this whole issue has just really become so convoluted and blown out of proportion for, um, yeah, for, for what it is regarding specifically the meetings. I think sometimes we don't recognize the, the tradition and the approach to conservation that Alberta does have, right? Mm -hmm. we, we paint this picture of rednecks out in the rural areas and we forget that the situation in rural areas is a lot more complex than that. You have a 
wide diversity of people who approach this with many different lenses, although that's really jargony. But, <laughs> but you know, there's like that deep, small C conservative approach that says, let's let's do this sensibly. Let's work on this. And if we can build bridges between those different approaches, we can actually get somewhere. Right. Because I've seen a lot of tweets floating around. Um, every time a story about this comes up from like hunting groups and yeah. um, backcountry camping groups and hiking groups and all kinds of groups that have been doing this forever. And they all support the Bighorn proposal. Let's not forget something like 80 something percent, I think, of Albertans support the Bighorn proposal from the figures that I've seen. From what they know of it. Yeah, from what, exactly, from what they know <laughs> of it, which is difficult. Yeah. yeah, and hunting and angler groups were there yeah. um, at the proposal to kind of celebrate it. So yeah, I they think, really like it. Right. A lot yeah. of people really, really like this proposal, including a whole bunch of stakeholder groups. Um, I hate that word too. Hey, <laughs> and stakeholders, oh, don't like either of those words. But you know what I mean? Like they do support this proposal. So it's it's bizarre to me that it's just gotten so completely out of hand. It is what is most incredible about this is that a, a plan that really has, uh, you know, very few substantive changes to the how the land is right. currently used and has pretty wide support among the people that do use the land regularly. It has blown up into this this massive controversy uh, for seemingly unnecessary reasons. It's hard to imagine Completely what it is. Completely unnecessary, right? But it does show uh, partly that we're in a in an election season, and yeah. and I think there are groups out there that are trying to exploit this to a degree. But I also think it shows the fragile state of our democracy and just uh, the level of trust in government generally right now uh, among some Albertans, maybe among a lot of Albertans, is really really fragile right now. And so any sort of hint that uh, the government is doing something different, wants to make a change. Uh, anyone who stokes a, a particular argument that maybe the government isn't being honest or is not consulting or is not listening to people, it gets people fired up immediately. And I think that's why we're in this situation now. It's sad to see. I don't know how you how you restore that that trust right now. Um, but uh, you say bugger the consultations. <laughs> we're doing it. Suck it up. Alberta. Yeah, that that that's was definitely not. The, that's not the way to go. So. <laughs> and I think they are going to have to reschedule in-person consultations, and it's going to be so much more hostile probably now after all of this has happened when they do finally bring them. People who wouldn't have gone along have now decided that they're pissed off and they're going to go along <laughs> to tell everyone how it's pissed off they are. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't know how they get out of this. I really don't know where this goes. And because, I mean, we are facing an election in the next few months at some point. So then this is, are they going to pass it before that? Like, are they going to shove it through if they just hold a spring session to, like, push through the big horn country proposal? Like, I, I just, I don't know where you go. Yeah, it it's it's a, it's a really good question. I suspect this is probably going to have to wait until the election is over, but uh, we'll see how determined the government is. I guess so. Let's move over to the curious case of the missing photo radar report. Um, where <laughs> is it? Brian Mason. Brian Mason, where's the report? Yeah. Brian Mason. You know what? I've run into him twice in the hallways of the legislature this week, and I'm like, Minister, Minister, where is that report? And he's like, Emma, Stop it. So apparently we're going to get it by the end of the month because they got the report and they want to actually um, come up with some actions based on the report before they show us what the goddamn report is. But he also promised it was coming before Christmas and he that did. didn't happen. Mm -hmm. did and it's Brian. been two years, <laughs> two, oh my God, almost I know. two years of a review. The day that this, and let's, let's kind of back up here a little bit. Um, the day that this thing was announced, so the government said, we are going to review photo radar. In particular in Edmonton, there's a 
ton of photo photo radars around, like 1,100 or something in Edmonton. And the accusation is that they're used as a as a cash cow by the municipality um, to raise money, and it's wholly unfair. So the province said, you know what, uh, Brian Mason said, you know what, we're going to do a review of photo radar around the province. The funniest thing that happened that day was that later in the afternoon, then Wild Rose MLA, Angela Pitt, now UCP MLA, had actually booked the media room to have a press conference about the need for a photo radar report. And I guess the NDP caught wind of it. Brian Mason and his press character at the time come running through the press going like, guys, guys, okay, we're going to have a press conference about the photo radar report. We're like, um, like the one Wild Rose is having this afternoon. He's like, I'm going to scoop him. And then like turn, runs in, <laughs> turns on the lights in the dark, empty media room and then announces he's having a review of the photo radar. And so then later on in the day, poor Angela Pitt had to get up and do a press conference <laughs> calling for a photo radar report. And she was like, like <laughs> um, but that was in May 2017. And we were supposed to see this report and we have not seen it. So this week, and now we're supposed to sit for the end of the year, every single cabinet ins, every single ins that I see Brian Mason, when I see him in the hallways, I say, Minister, where is the report? Minister, where is the photo radar report? And we just don't see it. So this week, Freedom Conservative Party leader Derek Fildebrand put out a press release saying, you know what? We hate photo radar. Ban them. <laughs> And he's basically he's again making the accusation that municipal politicians are benefiting from this um, use of photo radar and that the province needs to restrict them. Um, yeah, but I mean, without a review of what's actually going on, it's really hard to delve into this issue any further than what we already know, which is that there are photo radars. So <laughs> there, there are photo radars, now, but there are. At least you are the city reporter, so I want to pick yeah, your brains but... on this. Well, because I think there are some really interesting questions about where they get put. I think that it's pretty obvious they do have an effect on driving. Who doesn't drive slower when they know they have a higher chance of getting caught? Mm -hmm. But there's some interesting questions about, do you put them on the outskirts of town just before the sign that says you can speed up? Or do you put That's them dodgy. close to, yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you put them in areas of high pedestrian concentrations mm. or places where you might not see a pedestrian until it's too late or places where you uh, have been having uh, high numbers of speed related um, collisions? Like those seem pretty, sorry, but I'm a columnist now. That seems pretty obvious to me that that is a, a you know, a, a good place to have enforcement. And that's the idea is that you put a photo radar where it's actually going to make mm -hmm. a difference for safety, but the uh, but the but the money is it's There's not, lots of good things you can like, there you lots go. of good headline kind of words that you could throw around around this one. What what is interesting? There's been um, some conferences that this has come up in before traffic safety conferences, um, and at one of them, I was talking to an Australian expert about maybe you know more about this about how this <laughs> became like a really big flashpoint in Australia, and then they did find other ways of uh, involving the public in where these things actually go and being really transparent about. Here we're having an issue. Now we're putting in photo radar. Here's how we've seen it changed. This is how many tickets came out, how, how it's affected accident rates. That kind of transparency, I think, would be wonderful. And then we'd actually be having a very intelligent debate about it instead of, uh, you know, musing about things and calling it a cash cow. Yeah. This is... Uh, actually, I, Australia, I, I, sorry to interrupt you, Keith. Australians do have a word for a, a cash grab or using money appropriate. It's called a rot. So a rot. R-O-R-T. No, 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 I think she said rot. 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 Um, <laughs> R-O-R-T. So basically, if you, like, you know, photo radars, everyone would be calling it bloody rot. It's a bloody rot. So basically, they're like... <laughs> Sounds horrible. Money out from <laughs> it's also used if a politician has, like, misused expenses or something, they'll call it a travel rot. So it's like... 
you know, Derek Filderbrand's Airbnb would be the, you know, the accommodation rot. The expenses wrought. That's a we great have, word. We I've never have heard a word that word. For it. Yeah. I know because I wrote it into a Derek Filderbrand story once, and then I got a call going, what "No the one hell knows is what this is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No one understands what this is." Wow. And in Australia now, they have, um, in Brisbane anyway, they have this really cool system where, you know, how you get um, the little signs that tell you how how fast you're going and how slow you're going if there's a photo radar around. In Australia, they're little happy faces or frowny faces. So you want to make the sign happy so you don't (laughs) speak. That's funny. Unless you're like anti-society. Yeah. There's another kind of photo radar. There's another kind of photo radar that puts um, a camera at the beginning of a stretch of road and a camera at the end of a stretch of road, maybe like a death highway type situation. And then unless you like really go fast and then really go slow, you can't beat the system. You have to actually carry on at a reasonable speed the entire time. Do have those on the highway. There is a hot in Australia. We have those on the highway. In Australia, actually. yeah, in Australia, yeah. not yeah. in Canada yet. Because Australians were hoons. I don't know if you have that word here, hoon. No, another word. Hey, you no. guys are so welcome, Press Gallery listeners. Yeah. You'll be talking Australian yet. Yeah, I'm going Sorry, I keep interrupting no, you. That's right. No, no, this is good. I'm gonna have to update my Australian English dictionary now. So. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, a photo radar is one of those hot button issues. I, I mean, I was I was covering city council as my first beat at the Edmonton Journal back in 2002 to th- 2006, and we were talking about photo radar and how everyone Dead hated set. it or loved it back then. Uh, so this is this is just ongoing, and it doesn't surprise me that Derek Filderbrand would be the one to uh, <laughs> stoke some uh, some interest in this with a, a, a campaign platform like that. Um, I think Elise makes some very good points, uh, and I, I agree that I, I think it does have an effect on driving, and, and it can be used effectively. I think where the city got into trouble in the past was they were not entirely upfront with how much money they were going to bring in, yeah. who was administering it, uh, and some changes to enforcement practices that they did not let uh, people know that about. Right. So I think if, if the province is going to go down this road and, and introduce some photo radar on highways, then they need to be completely upfront about how much money they're going to spend on it, how much revenue they expect to get from it, what kind of locations they're going to going to uh, try to target it at, if it's going to be ramped up over a, a period of time, uh, if it's in a pilot project phase, they just need to be really, really upfront about people. So they can't, people can't argue that they were blindsided by this. That That's the main thing. And there should be community involvement. You should actually right. have community members suggesting places that they've seen problems and have a way for them to get involved in studying these and suggesting the pl- locations. That's oh, right. We've seen our consultations go this week, though, haven't okay. we? Yes. <laughs> yeah, photo radar consultations right now doesn't seem like a super fun thing to cover, but we'll see. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, and part of the argument, too, is that Edmonton has like 1,100 of them and Calgary has, what, like 60 or 80 or something like that. Like, it's just this complete imbalance between what Edmonton has and what the rest of the province has. And even some small municipalities have them in, as you referenced earlier, Elise, like coming in and out of a high speed zone. And that's just, I mean, that's just like, come on, mate, you're taking the piss. Like, don't do that. (laughs) You know, that's the Australian in me. Add that to your dictionary, Keith. Uh, Indeed. Um, (laughs) In in fairness, that was an example that came from a rural municipality through David Staples. Uh, It was not an example from Edmonton, although I'm sure other people have examples from Edmonton. I'm sure that there are those examples exist around here. (laughs) Yes. Guarantee it. (laughs) So I want to move on to our final topic here. Um, A death and a new life in the legislature. 
Keith, you knew um, Jean Swazdesky, right? I did, yeah. Uh, I didn't. Who passed away this week? Yeah, he passed away, I believe, uh, was it Sunday morning? Yeah. Yeah, um, as it turned out, um, Christmas Eve for, on the Orthodox calendar, and he was uh, he was of the Orthodox faith, Ukrainian Orthodox, so uh, cert- certainly a, a, a tough day to go on. But uh, he was only 70. Um, we, uh, I think the last time we saw him was um, basically just two or three years ago. Uh, he was, uh, when his portrait was hung, in the legislature as a former speaker. So he he had a long career. He was actually elected back in 1993 uh, as a liberal, crossed the floor in 1998 to the Progressive Conservatives and uh, became a, a cabinet minister in various portfolios. I got to know him when I first joined the legislature in 2010. He was the health minister at the time. And he's just one of those kind of throwbacks, one of those old-fashioned politicians. Uh, he gave out his cell phone to everybody, which you would not see a cabinet minister do very often these days, right? And he would he would pick up the phone when you called, and must have been going off all the time. And his communication staff must have been going nuts, um, you know, considering how controlled a lot of the cabinet ministers are now. He was just a guy that he figured um, a little conversation, a little human connection, could solve a lot of the problems. He was a tireless worker. I talked to former Premier Ed Stelmack, who knew him quite well. And he would say that Gene would send him an email at one or two in the morning when Ed was asleep. <laughs> Ed would get up at 6.30 and reply to the email. And Gene would reply right back. So when did he actually sleep, right? That, that's the, that's sort of the thing. Um, he was he was one of those just uh, he was a genuine nice guy, an actual gentleman. Um, so it was uh, it was really sad to hear that he has passed. Um, I uh, I think he his his most shining moment came in the three years when he was speaker. Um, I think he really enjoyed that, and he was he was well respected by the opposition. Uh, the when the NDP came to power and Gene Zwazdeski lost his seat, he was known for. Um, helping the new government get transitioned. All those rookie MLAs that came in in 2015 needed some orientation. Gene Zwazdeski was the one leading that. He held a, a mock legislature session, which was out of the ordinary. Um, wow, so, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. so one of, those, one of those guys that really just loved democracy, loved the legislature, um, was friends with people on both sides of the aisle. Uh, we just don't see that very often anymore, so it's sad to see him go. Yeah, you're right, because a lot of um, NDP MLAs kind of mentioned that in their messages of condolence and stuff on Twitter was like, you know, he helped us. He helped me personally understand what was going on. And and it was, it's kind of rare. Like you don't see that many politicians who are that highly respected across the art. A lot of them have like kind of friendships with one another. Um, but yeah, to have that real high level of, of respect and regard for one another is, is kind of unusual. Absolutely. Um, I want to move on now to a new life in the legislature. And a solid A-plus trolling game from Brian Jean. <laughs> so Brian Jean, um, former Wildrose leader, ran for leadership of the United Conservative Party against Jason Kenney, obviously lost, then um, resigned his Fort McMurray seat. <laughs> he tweeted out this week, oh, join Kim, that's his wife, um, join Kim and I uh, at 3 p.m. for a Facebook Live for a big announcement. And immediately, and I knew that Kim was pregnant, actually, I've known for a while. And I was like, oh, they're totally announcing that. Oh, that's sweet. Oh. But everyone just started assuming that Brian Jean was going to announce his big comeback to Alberta politics. And it was, knowing what he was, what they were going to announce, it was actually amazing to watch this kind of Alberta legislature, just everyone weighing in with their opinions and wondering what he was going to say. There were rumours that he was going to try, take over leadership of the Alberta party. 
there were some old old conservatives, people who really don't like Jason Kenney, who were like, please come and rescue the conservative movement, Brian Jean. And then he got up <laughs> and it was just he and Kim sitting on the couch. And they're like, hey, everyone, thanks for your support. Now I'm paraphrasing. But, you know, 2018 was hard, but it was great. And, hey, by the way, here's our plan for a great new... Well, something along the lines of here's our plan to make Alberta even better. A new <laughs> Albertan coming in 10 weeks' time. And Kim's sitting there in a pink T-shirt. It's a girl, by the way, um, with a little, like, Alberta grown symbol on the belly. <laughs> it was a very strange press conference. It was just a Facebook Live. But congratulations to Brian and Kim. And well done on the trolling. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, I don't know. Part of me thinks that he knows exactly what he was doing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure he did. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. It was funny. He kind of mentioned that when they got up and they started the Facebook Live. I was like, oh, I didn't realize, you know, until I tweeted that out yesterday. Wow, everyone, I didn't realize everyone was still following me that close. I'm like, oh, Brian, stop it. (laughs) Yes, you did. (laughs) So, yeah, Kim Jean is having a baby in about 10 weeks' time. So there you have it. It is a girl. (laughs) But it was funny to watch that. I don't know where these rumors started about. There's the not enough party. fun like that happening these days, so you know. We'll take it. Where take we a note it. from Brian Jean and. <laughs> have I think some there were a lot sometimes. of people breathing a sigh of relief after. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after that announcement came out, because he wasn't he wasn't getting back into politics. I thought he might even be trying to respond to some of the uh, the reports that have come out about some of the. Uh, the kind of nasty politics that were used against him by some of Jason Kenney's supporters in the UCP leadership campaign oh, as well. Oh, the Jeff Calloway the thing. The Jeff Calloway thing, yeah. So I thought maybe he'd respond to that. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I reached out for him to him for comment on that back when all that stuff came up, and he's like, nah, nah. <laughs> what nah. is he doing? Do you know? Like, what's- um, Kind of just looking after business and, and, and that kind of thing. His mom, unfortunately, passed away um, mm. late last year. So, um, you know, he's looking after family businesses and enjoying time with his pregnant wife i guess good Mm -hmm. idea yeah hanging out you know not worrying about being an mla that's for sure let's move over to our regular segment now good stuff from the gallery in which we recommend things we've read or seen or heard or listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy dear listeners clear clan Clear, clear Clancy. <laughs> Love that Australian clear, accent. Clancy. <laughs> Clancy, do you want to kick us off, mate? I don't know what's happened. I've just, like, just called me Clancy. To my Aussie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Um, yeah, sure. I'm going to recommend a book, which I don't normally do. I'm very careful with what books I recommend because yeah, I think. Yeah, you're a podcast. Queen. Yeah, because people are very, I think. Books are very personal, so I only recommend things that I know. I think this. I think most people that read this book would love it as much as I did. Um, but it's called Educated by Tara Westover, and it's a memoir, and it's about her experience growing up in Idaho with Mormon survivalists, um, and how that kind of informed her life, and then later how she broke out of that environment and went on to do some really incredible things. Um, and honestly, it just I read the book in two days and was just so enthralled and it made me cry and like I just I it was so good and I really recommend it. I think everyone will love it. Go buy the book. And it was also on Obama's top ten book list oh. of twenty eighteen. So he recommended book. it too. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. right. So you're yeah. just as good as Obama. I'm just as You'll good. You'll be president yeah. next, Clancy. <laughs> I think so. I wasn't born in the States, but I think I could do it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Why not? (laughs) Elise, what do you have for us? The book I really liked recently was called The Little Yellow House, Finding Community in a Changing Neighborhood. It's by 
Carissa Halton. It's it's interesting because it's written right here in Edmonton oh. from the Alberta Avenue area. She moved there and it's kind of little segments, little stories about what it was like, what it has been like to see that neighborhood change, some of the struggles, that decision of do you send your child to the local school um, with some of the challenges there? Do you bus them to the specialty school? And how do you react when there is a drug house next door? How do you struggle with that? Mm. I, I just thought it was really informative, especially for right now, as a lot of people are thinking about how they can live locally and how they can change their neighborhood. And it's not easy. Yeah. So, there's my recommendation. Nice. Local. I love it. I'm also going to recommend a book. I don't know what's happening. What's We're happening? Books. Very yeah. strange. Um, Keith, you better keep this trend up. No, I'm kidding. You can do it. You can do, it. do as you like. I'm not the boss of you. I'm going to recommend a book. It is a young adult novel. It's called Between Shades of Grey um, by Rutka Sapitas, I think is how you pronounce it. Apologies, Ruta, if I'm incorrect and you happen to be listening to this podcast. Um, it is a fantastic book. It is about an often forgotten piece of history um, written from the perspective of a teenage girl um, in which um, Latvians, Lithuanians and Estonians were forcibly removed um, from their countries by the Russians um, basically during the war. It is one of those things that often gets overlooked. It's such an interesting bit of history because you had kind of Russia invaded them and then Germany, like the Nazis, were kind of their saviours. But at the same time, all of these intellectuals and people who were seen as enemies of Russia were deported to Siberia and killed. And it was an absolutely brutal part of history. Um, part of my family actually are Latvian refugees from that time. So I did know a bit about this and I've been to the Baltics, but it is a really, really great read and an easy read too because it's a YA novel, but it's, yeah, it's highly recommended. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. Yeah. Keith, what do you have for us, mate? I, I actually did not uh, read much this week except for uh, government reports on the Bighorn plan. So, uh, oh, are you recommending <laughs> those? <laughs> <laughs> However, uh, I did see a movie I really enjoyed. Um, and it, I'm certainly not the first one to uh, be uh, giving this some kudos, but it's uh, it's Roma. It is uh, one that's uh, been getting some, some buzz in the award season. Uh, it is not for everyone. It is shot in black and white. It is uh, done in Spanish, so you will have to read part of the movie. Um, so you did read this one? I, I did a little bit yes read some read some subtitles uh think <laughs> things do not get blown up every minute there are new su superheroes in the movie uh so it is not for everyone but it is a beautifully shot film uh, a lovely story about life in mexico city in the 1970s uh and if you get a chance to see it i i think it's uh, it's one of the best movies i've seen this year for and sure and it's on netflix right? Uh, on netflix yes that's correct oh cool clancy claire clancy <laughs> Elise Stolte, Keith Dryan, thank you guys so much for joining me here on The Press Gallery. Um, we'll be back with another episode of The Press Gallery interview on Wednesday. Elise, I believe you are talking to Edmonton Mayor Don Iverson. Yes, indeed. Super fun. Um, and we'll be back this time next week for our usual panel discussions here on The Press Gallery. Press Gallery.